It always moves my heart to hear about Honduras. My brother, when he was 53 years old, he ran a successful company, a trim carpenter. At age 53, he had taken 18 trips of leading people to Honduras, to mission trips. He decided to drive over to his son, who was also emerging in the business, and drop off all his tools and moved to him and his wife moved to Honduras. And they've been there for a number of years, and I suspect he'll die with his boots on in Honduras. But I had the wonderful privilege of being there a few times, and we had spent time uh, in homes. I was out in a village. He runs a clinic. My brother does a real amazing clinic. But we had the privilege of, of building water purifiers in the homes of people. And we built 17 of them that week. And just having clean water, as he's talked about, adds years to the lives of those folks. In fact, if you pour a floor, which we poured a number of floors, it added 11 years, the estimate, to the life of the family, each person, because then the parasites don't come up to their feet. Just by pouring a floor, it adds 11 years. So you can imagine how exciting it is to be a part. My daughter went with me, and she was four months pregnant, and she's shoveling cement like crazy. I'm trying to tell her to slow down, but it didn't matter because we had a mission, and it was really exciting to be part of that. Let's pray. Father, may we pause at this special time of the year to not let the opportunity slip by, to not really think about what Jesus has done for us. And Father, sometimes it becomes so commonplace to us that we just kind of slide through this special time. Father, help us to pause. Help us to, to grab a hold of the wonder what God has done through us, through his son, Jesus. Amen. I love the theme this season together because of his love. And we looked at aspects of his love and its impact it has in our personal lives as we journey to the cross. And we're almost there in the calendar year of the church. We're there because this next week is so significant. We must never forget and never become so common with this understanding that the greatest act of love is Jesus being willing to come to this earth, but not only come, but to die for us. Seems rather simple, but it's enormously complex. I love the visions we have in the Bible of, of the glimpses of heaven. We get those glimpses. The Old Testament, New Testament, it's profound in the book of Revelation. And here is this massive group of people worshiping God and the Lamb. An incredible fellowship, incredible experience that they are experiencing together, and the oneness that they share. And for Jesus to be willing as they put together this plan to come and leave that, to come to this world that we live in, can you imagine leaving that and coming to this? And not only come to this earth, but be willing to say, I'm going to die for you. Let's think about that this week in a special way. Billy Graham says, I'm convinced that the greatest act of love we can ever perform for people is to tell them about God's love for them in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of temporal things we can do that are very, very significant. But there's one thing that's eternal, that people come to experience the love of Christ and incorporate that into their lives. I spend a lot of time in malls. I enjoy it. In fact, I relax in malls. I'm strange, as my wife says. I am very strange. I go to the Mall of America and relax. But I like to observe people. And we observe people, you just look into the eyes of people and you, and you only wish, you, there's a story in their eyes 
And you only wish that they had the privilege of encountering the love of Christ and how that could transform their lives. So folks, we have infinite worth, infinite worth creation and recreation. We have unbelievable acceptance by God through Christ. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are healed. We are part of the family, spiritual family. Today, I just want to pause for a few moments to think about we no longer fear the future. There is so much uncertainty of the future, and it leads us to anxiety. And anxiety often births fear. C.S. Lewis, in his Screwtape Letters, makes this statement, the acts of cowardice is all that matters, and that is in the context of discussion as, uh, about spiritual realities. But he says the emotion of fear is in itself no sin. It is no sin to experience anxiety and fear because of what we experience in life. But the real question becomes, what are we, how are we going to handle anxiety fear, and fear in the world, and particularly as it impacts our personal lives? Doesn't it seem to you, as it seems to me, that all institutions, whether political, economic, social, even religious institutions we count on for stability in our lives seem to be unstable, and at times it seems like they're crumbling right before our eyes? A lot of personal conversations I have with people and people my age often bring up their grandchildren. And the statement is made, what is the world going to be like that my grandchild or my, is going to have to grow up in? And you know, it's something to think about. It's something to pray about. It's something to enter into their lives. But they're going to have to face the experiences and face walking with Jesus, personally being wholehearted to him in their experiences just like you and I have to face in our world. My assessment is that all human systems are broken, but some are just more broken than others. It does not matter what political stripe you come from these days. There is a deep, deep sense that things are not right. And what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we face these uncertain times? uncertain future. If we turn to these human institutions for future hope and stability, we are unwise. In fact, I would say we're very foolish. In David's psalms, in many of his psalms, David is pouring out his experiences. He's facing distress. He's facing hostility. He's facing uncertainty, and the list goes on and on. There's only a few psalms that don't end with a powerful affirmation of hope. At the end of David's Psalm 4, where he is distressed, he says, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. For it's you, O Lord, that helps me sleep, helps me uh, not experience deep anxiety. Psalm 55, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. I don't think God often protects us from the experiences that we're going to experience in life. God does enter in, but his power is sustaining sustaining us through the experiences of life. And the New Testament equivalent of these psalms is 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he deeply cares for you. And today, as we think about the future, think about that. Cast your anxieties on him because he deeply cares for you. These are not just nice, flowery words. This is where David and Peter found their confidence and hope. And as we turn to John 10, and you can turn to there, where we'll land a few moments. But first, I want us to think about, as we look at the future, the big picture. I think we have to start with the big picture of what God is doing, and then we bring it down. We bring it down to the, to the impact of our lives in our daily experience. We personalize it this morning. 
But we've got to see the big picture from God's point of view the best we can. It helps us manage our lives, our anxieties, our fears. It helps us to face the future. We need to see the big picture. I find it so helpful in my life. When I experience anxiety and I experience fear of the future and the uncertainty, and it just presses in on us so hard at times. And I feel it. I feel it profoundly. It's helpful to me to look at these few areas here in my life to give me stability, to manage such uncertainty that is before us every day. The first one I think that's important for me, I ponder, is what do we see, need to see God as sovereign over the world. It's a tough one. We look at the world at times and it seems like it's so out of control. And we ask God, where are you? What are you doing? Most people in human history have felt that way. And a lot of times I pour out my frustrations to God and say, where are you, O oh God? And usually when I do that, it's, I'm really frustrated with myself. And in some way, I'm just simply blaming God. But we ask those questions. And this idea of God being sovereign over this world, this universe, oh, Lord. You see, to believe in God's sovereignty is a faith affirmation. But the assertion of his sovereignty is backed up by action. All throughout the Bible, we see that God is serious about being faithful to his great promises. And not only faithful to, to give them to us, but to accomplish them. It's God's world, birth and creation, sustained throughout all time. Affirmed in Colossians 1, that not only did Jesus and God create the world, but they sustained it by their power. You see, we see God's faithfulness in the past in accomplishing his design purposes in the world. And once we see him carrying that out, birthing that, we have more confidence to face the future. Has God been faithful in the past, folks? Has he been faithful? Has he been faithful to bring the, this whole redemptive process from the beginning of time and the fall of humanity as the promise is given of one to come to redeem humanity as it all unfolds in the promises, the covenants in the Old Testament, the experiences and, and echoes in the words of the great prophets? In the fullness of time, we see coming on the landscape of human history the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You see, his Confidence in the past helps us see that God will then bring to the close of this world with the glorious return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, to bring us home. Sadly, at that time, we will see the judgment, unfortunately, of the unbelievers. It's my Father's world. He's not lost control of it. We rest in God's control of the world and his guidance in our lives. I have seen in my life over time, sometimes the finger of God. We can only see the finger of God. It's like that in the Old Testament, the, the, um, the people that uh, uh, in, the, in the plagues of Egypt, the Egyptian magicians or soothsayers, they, they could pr produce some of the, um, the miracles. But at one point they said, we can't do this. It's the finger of God. I love that expression. But you know, as I look back, God has been faithful in my life. For all of us, it doesn't always mean it's easy, and sometimes it's always kind of a perilous journey, but I look back, and times I can drop and say the finger of God was at work in my life. It gives me confidence to look and say that he's going to be faithful to me in the future. I think it's important to see the big picture also to understand that there are two different kingdoms in this world. This concept of two kingdoms has been discussed and debated for centuries of the church. 
the great Augustine in the city of God, and most recently Chuck Colson in his book Kingdoms in Conflict. It's not a simple concept to wrestle with. The next two adult classes we'll have soon will help us engage in culture as one of them looks at the resolutions of our denomination that deals with this intersection of these kingdoms. The bottom line is there is the kingdom of kingdoms of the world and there is the kingdom of God. And they are different entities under different leadership, operating on different values and purposes and, and sustainability. Daniel, the teachings of Jesus and the apostles talk often about the kingdom of God. Today, the church is the primary form of the kingdom of God, not the institution of the church, but the gospel-empowered Christian community as it impacts and engages the world. Though Jesus' church is flawed as we are, it is God's primary means of influence in the kingdoms of this world. We desire so much in the Lord's prayer that God's kingdom will be realized on earth as it is in heaven. But folks, don't hitch your ride in this world with the kingdoms of the world. Only the kingdom of God is the one that will have sustainability and endure forever. Again, this is Jesus' rulership of the world through his true believers for all time and forever. Folks, this helps my thinking. It tempers my expectations of what's out there in the kingdoms of this world. It does not lead to disengagement, but it realizes where we put our hopes. Folks, don't put your hopes in the kingdoms of this world. We never were intended to. We put our hopes in the kingdom that Christ is building and he has allowed us to enter in and live that kingdom out in community and reach the world. So as we look out and see such confusion, as we look out and see things seem to disintegrate at times, there's two things we ought to do is take a step back and realize that that is never a place where we place our hopes at the same time we recognize where we do. There are two different kingdoms in the world. That's helpful for me. And finally, the bigger picture, we continue to develop a Christian worldview. My early days of my life, there was talk all the time among Christians that gathered together in Christian circles about developing and continuing to develop a Christian perspective on life. I often long for more discussion these days of people that are so concerned that their lives are governed by a Christian perspective on life that we talk about it, we engage, we challenge each other, we encourage each other. We do not develop a Christian worldview from contemporary culture. Even though there's some intersections in belief systems, the Christian worldview has a different foundation. We need to understand that the worldview that we are forming must come from a consistent study of the sacred word. The Bible frames our lenses by which we look at all events, all activities in our lives and in the world. This is an important one to me. I think about this a lot. And my advice to us is this. Find the most non-biased news outlet to receive your strategic information. Now, there's not such a thing out there because there's not such a thing that isn't non-biased. But that there are some that are better than others. And look for ones that can give you the strategic information you need of culture and life. Spend less time on the volumes of news for the day and more engaged in the reading and digesting of the sacred word to keep us centered on God and his perspective in the world. I know for a very fact when I'm not consistent as I ought to be in the world, I experience, it emerges in me more fear and anxiety as I face the future. 
These things are so helpful to me. It's so helpful to me to keep affirming that God is in control and he's guiding my life. I do not expect at all America to be the kingdom of God. And I'm constantly trying to hone a Christian perspective on life. Folks, I hope that you find helpful for you. The big picture we start with. But after we understand the big picture, it moves right down to the personal side. And that is found in John 10. John 10 is one of the most intimate passages of Jesus' teachings. The relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is an analogy used to articulate Jesus and God's care for us. It arises out of that great Psalm 23. And I was going to quote the whole thing for you here, but I'm a little fearful that I might mix the phrases because that was one of the things I memorized as a little child, and I probably could do it well. But you know that psalm so well. It's a wonderful psalm, psalm of God's care and the ultimate destiny of our eternal home with him forever. This is an intimate passage. He knows his sheep. Those are the ones that are truly of him. Listen to him. They follow him. He leads them. He cares for their needs. He lays down his life for them, and he ultimately gives them eternal life. And this becomes the basis of our security as we try to navigate our personal lives. I love the phrase Jesus says, nothing can snatch true followers from my Father's hand. The passage that was just read twice, he affirms that nothing can snatch true followers from my Father's hands. I know when you hear that, I know when you hear that, you start wondering about the issue. Wait a minute. What about apostasy? What about people who walk away? What about people who shake their fist in the face of God? Are they secure in the hands of the living God? And it becomes an issue of eternal security. I can remember when I was president of the Oak Hills Christian College, there was a fellow who was on staff for years who would always come to me and he'd sit me down and says, Mark, you must keep affirming eternal security. And it was a certain band, a brand of eternal security that he was lifting up. But the issue is, I make no judgments on people's personal faith, but I do raise this issue. If you personally know Jesus Christ, you will over time, even in the midst of the struggle of our growth, show evidence of faith and obedience. If there is no evidence or a person is indifferent towards Jesus and there is no fruit coming from your life, then most likely you have no genuine faith, no security at all in your standing with God. If we put our faith in Jesus Christ's work on the cross and resurrection, we have security in the Father's hand. Think about that this week as you, I encourage you to read this passage. You have security in the hands of the most significant one of all is God, our Father's hands. And we're secure in his loving care. No one, he says, will mess with his own. Twice. No one can destroy them and take them away from Jesus. We have secure in his hand. I love my dad. My dad was tough. Sometimes my dad got angry. Got angry at me. Most of the time I deserved it. But I'll tell you something that's really remarkable. I don't remember ever a time, ever a time, that I doubted that my dad loved me. Not once growing up did I ever doubt my dad's love. That's remarkable. I tried to instill in my daughters more than anything else. There's nothing else that matters more to instill in my daughters that their father, their dad, loves them dearly, and I said it every day. That is the most important thing that my daughters need to hear from their father. 
to know that I care, to know that I have their interest at heart, to know that I'm moving into their lives and, and helping them as I tandem together with Holly. This father image, sometimes it's so painful for some people. They hear it and they just scream, don't talk about the father. But over time, as one journeys with the living God, we somehow over time help with others, realize over time, hopefully, this wonderful image of a loving father. We're secure in his care because of what Christ has done. The investment of God made in sending his son to the world to die for us is the greatest expression of the depth God will go to show us his genuine love. We need to affirm the loving care of God. Also, God is also working for our good. This becomes very personal for us. The enemy comes to destroy, but God comes to give eternal life. Eternal life, by the way, is is one aspect, is the quality of life we live now from an eternal perspective. God is birthing in us a quality of life that we will fully realize in the eternal kingdom. John 10 also has the theme that's in Romans 8. God is working through the good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. This is an affirmation that God is always working for the good. You can have the confidence if you mess our lives up royally and at some point we stand before God and we say, I want to move forward with you. You have the confidence that God will work. But the good is his good, not our good. Unless we understand that it's God's good. You see, according to his purpose, the emphasis is on God's good. God's good will is focused on what is good for us. How bad we mess it up. He is always trying to reach us, insist us to experience his good will. Hebrews 12 just oozes with the idea of a father who, even through discipline and care, even discipline, he does it because he wants us to share his very person and his holiness. And finally, folks, in this passage, one of the most important things is God's eternal home. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Stop to think if there was no heaven. Stephen Hawking, before he died, stated that there is no heaven. is a fairy story for people who are afraid to die. Is that true? Is that true? Just think of the implications of that true. I'm going to talk about that next week. I don't know if you've seen the movie, I can only imagine. If you haven't, go see it. I highly recommend it. There is unbelievable miracle that God did in the life of the father, of the, folk, the gal fellow that ran that, that uh, penned that song, I can only imagine. The greatest miracle is see what the gospel can do to transform lives of people. A man who was hostile, a man who was terrible, came to experience Christ and his life was transformed. And a son who despised him came to the point where he could forgive him because of the powerful grace of our Savior. Go see, I can only imagine. Revelation, there's a clarity of the eternal home and reward for those who follow Jesus faithfully, regardless of the challenges of life. The glimpses. Oddly enough, Oliver Wendell Holmes says this, the great thing in this world is not so much where we stand, it's the direction we're moving. To reach the port of heaven, we must sail sometimes with the wind, sometimes against it, but we must sail. We must not drift, nor lie at anchor. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. There is a place that John in the Revelation says there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. The present order of things will be done away with and a new order will come that's magnificent. 
Can you grab a hold of it? Can we live in the quality of eternal life in light of our eternal home? Can you grab a hold of God's loving care, his goodness, his reward, the big picture? And the personal side of God's care is needed to face the future with confidence regardless of what happens in our lives. And one final note. I encourage you, as you face the future for this, take one day at a time. So many people are burdened about the burdens of the past and they're so living in the past and they haven't come to terms with the present because they're so anchored in the past. There's nothing we can do from the past in our lives but learn from it. We're never called to live in the past and we're not called to live too far in the future. God meets us powerfully today and the best way to handle the future is today to encounter the living Christ, tend them together with his spirit and live our lives in accordance with him, in obedience and respect for our loving Savior because of what he did for us on the cross. Amen, let's pray. Father, guide our hearts. I was to grab a hold, Father, of your deep investment in our lives. And Father, sometimes they're not platitudes, they're not words that we just say. These are realities that are fleshed out in a relationship with the living God through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Encourage us, Father, give us strength. Give us confidence in you as we navigate life. Amen.